Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hello, listeners. Welcome. Today's podcast topic is emergency funds and the financial safety net that they provide for widows and widowers. I believe in these. I actually had one, which I'll talk about later. Um, my guest today is Richard Dree. He is a financial planner with Scotia McLeod. He will tell us everything there is to know about um, emergency funds, why you should have them, how to go about saving for them, really everything involved in them. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Palma. Thank Before, you for having me. You're welcome. Before we get started, though, I was talking to a friend of mine about online dating. She's in the position to be doing that and has told me quite a few interesting stories. Now, I know you have experience with this. You actually used a dating app. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I'm a big fan of dating apps. Uh, <laughs> a big uh, fan? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, if possible, I'd be investing in uh, a dating app or two. Yeah, no, I, I think they're great. They're not perfect, um, but they, they've got some really positive uh, advantages, in my opinion. I use them when I, back in the old days, when we were looking for a partner to date or to meet new people, we would go to a bar or a club and you'd meet maybe one person and, and that would be it. But with a dating app, like you could meet 10, 20, 30, in my case, women. And they've got these algorithms where before you start, you have to complete a, a lengthy questionnaire. Like it could take a half hour, maybe even more to complete it. And I think over the years, they've determined based on algorithms and advanced learning, I don't know, but they know what they know what char characteristics match. So when you complete your application, they then somehow match your personality with people, women or men that have the same personalities or at least personalities that will mesh well with your personalities. So I found the app very convenient, very easy to use. And I went out with a few dates and I can tell you, they were all very well matched. We mm -hmm. had a lot in common and I, I thought the dates went well. Like they were, as I said, I didn't waste a lot of time going to dates that were completely off the wall. No, mm -hmm. they work. I can see that now. Having said that, how do you know people are telling the truth when they fill out those questionnaires? I, I'll tell you, I have an example. Yeah, My friend, is she's very outdoorsy. She loves to hike. She loves to canoe. She loves all of that. So she was matched with this man who seemed perfect for her. And they arranged to go on a hike. That would be their first date. So mm -hmm. she told him where they would meet. He arrived 
for the hike on a fairly warm day, wearing flip-flops, or I guess, is that what you would call them for men? I suppose so. And brought no water with him whatsoever, no hat. So she knew for sure that he had made that up. There was no way. They were hiking and it was a, a real hike. So someone who actually hiked would never show up wearing that type yeah. of footwear. So she's encountered that a few times. That these, <laughs> these, these men, in her case, men, uh, they're yeah. not who they say they are. Yeah, it takes a bit of work to basically prove to yourself that they're actually telling the truth. Uh, yeah, you have no control over how they answer the questionnaire. Like if they lie, yeah. If I wrote down that I like hiking and I hate hiking, I'm not saying I don't. I do like hiking, but I don't know what to wear. I've never really gone on a hike, so I'd be like that guy. So if I lied, yeah, it would be you wouldn't catch it until you actually went on a date. However, mm -hmm. there are certain things you can do, which I did. You verify. So look you at creep their... them, in other words. No, no, yeah, yeah, you creep <laughs> them a bit. Like if they've got a LinkedIn page, go to their LinkedIn page and verify what they've told you by reading. Like your, their picture, for example. I've heard some people, not me, use younger pictures, younger versions of themselves. So if, you know, if they're 60, they put a 40-year-old picture in there. Well, of course, you can double check that. Do they have a job? Well, if they have a job, they might that's actually- That's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's a, though that's a minimum. <laughs> then you could maybe go to the company that they work for, again, online, and see if there's a company directory and just double check that the wow. actual- Yeah, so- You're put, thorough. <laughs> well, there was, like I told you, I love these apps. And one of the women that I dated on the app- actually turned into my girlfriend and we're still dating today. Now she works for the government of, but she doesn't work for the government of Ontario, but she works for a government owned uh, company. And I checked to ensure that she was on what is called the sunshine list, the sunshine list in Ontario or in Toronto, uh, actually Ontario, I believe is anybody who works for a government or a government related company that makes more than $100,000 a year. So I wanted, she told me she worked for the company that I, I won't mention it here. And she indicated her approximate income, uh, not in a direct way, but an indirect way. So I double checked that she worked for a public, for a company that she indicated. And I also, I also checked to make sure that she was on the sunshine list. I looked at her Facebook page. I looked at her LinkedIn page. I, I believe you. I really Googled it. Bit of homework, but it works. Well, I've met her and she's lovely. So you. you're right. It did work, but I can't believe you checked to see that she was on the sunshine list. Well, you know, I, I can be a little anal at times. Oh, <laughs> but... yeah, maybe just a tad, just a tad. But you know, you know what the worst thing was, is about dating apps. And you were right. I think the lack of honesty is a big one. But from my point of view, I'm not disqualifying what you just said, because that is a big negative. Another big negative that I found is that you respond to a person who matches your profile. Okay, so mm -hmm. they've matched you with ABC. And you write to her in the app and you say, oh, thank you for not. You don't say thank you. You say, oh, I noticed that you're a, a writer because I'm a writer. And you might say, well, I did 25 kilometers last week or 100 kilometers. And then you might pose a question, like, what was your longest ride? 
and then you wait for a response. It's a it's an icebreaker, right? Anyhow, what happens, and I would say four out of ten times, maybe it's just me, that I I got ghost. Oh, so, you were ghosted. Yeah, yeah. So you hear nothing but crickets. It's <laughs> complete silence. So you go, wait a minute, is that me? Or was it the other person? So when when you go through these particular apps, make sure you have very thick skin because sometimes you're going to get ghosted. Mm, unfortunately, I know people that are ghosted once they date. They so they actually meet the person and they think it will, went well. And these are people that they met on apps. They think it went well and then they hear nothing from the person. And even when they contact them, they don't get a response. So Yeah, I, I think that's just rude. It um, is so rude. Why not mm. just be honest? I don't, you know, you're a great person. I don't feel a connection and, right. and move on. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of professionalism <laughs> that is required. But anyhow. They work, what? they require a bit of work, but you could have some cases where you might meet a person that just doesn't meet your particular profile. Uh -huh. Or alternatively, you meet someone that you really connect with and things go well, like it did for you. And I know some yeah. people also that actually married people that they met on the app. Yeah, I'm a on big apps, proponent. particular apps. Yeah. So I, I won't, we won't works. mention any of them, but you could Google them. There's they're not hard to find. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Interesting though. I asked my daughters who are young, like uh -huh. under 30, yeah. would they ever use apps? And both of them said absolutely not. <laughs> well, they so, can do it the old fashioned way. They can for they're sure. They're so attractive and interesting and young. young. <laughs> It's uh, easy. Old, old people like me, they, they it takes a bit of work. They need help. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just can't go into a bar. Nobody my age is in a bar. No, so, thank goodness. There you go. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I don't go into them either. So we're talking today about emergency funds. Now, I mentioned before that I really believe in them, and we'll talk a bit more about that. But tell me, what are they exactly? Yeah, let me start by giving you a definition because a an emergency fund is really just a separate savings account where the objective or the only reason you would go into that savings account is if you have an emergency. An emergency could be a car repair that you never anticipated. It could be a dental bill that you didn't anticipate. Like I know I looked into dental implants the other day from my mother. Well, I didn't know they're, they're like roughly $5,000 for one wow. tooth. Yeah. Well, for one tooth? One tooth, $5,000 for an implant. Well, you don't usually put that in your budget. Now, if you have healthcare through work, some of that is paid for, but remarkably, dental implants are not covered by most plans. So they could definitely be an emergency. Mm, so they're uh, considered cosmetic? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how would you, you would expect to go on without a tooth. The <laughs> other thing is, well, you have a had a dog and how about vet expenses when you least expect them? Oh my gosh. Don't even. So, you know, that my dog passed away recently Yeah. and, but he was a rescue. I'll just roll you really quickly. He was a rescue who was quite badly abused. And so we, we worked with him for quite a while. And one of the things was he had a broken leg and a metal plate had been inserted, but incorrectly. So it was really hurting him. It was too low on his leg and he was going lame. So oh. I decided I would do the surgery for him. So oh. that I, I wanted him to be out of pain to be able to walk. Mm -hmm. And it was $10,000. Oh boy. So oh I'm boy. a dog lover. Of course, you're faced with the uh, situation where you either let this dog suffer or you pay. And I paid. 
So who paid you and your partner or just you? No, myself and my partner, of course. But so you're both dog lovers. Yes, we are. Okay. Of course we are. So we did pay $10,000. I didn't even think of going into my emergency fund for that. Uh, luckily, yeah. I was able to cover it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's an that's emergency something... fund. Yeah, that's true. Bit. Yeah. So in my personal experience, Palma, I learned the hard way when it came to emergency funds. I think Mary and I, when we were younger, we overextended ourselves and we didn't have an emergency fund. And when any time, and any time when a, an emergency expense occurred, like what you've, we've just talked about, I would go into further debt to pay for it. I've gone into credit cards for emergency expenses. I've even taken money out of my RRSPs to pay for emergencies, all of which are very wrong to do. And it, it all started with a lack of a proper, realistic budget. But you know, we talked about that in podcast number six. So I learned the hard way, and I'm a firm believer of it today, that it definitely is important for us to have one. How do you determine how much you need for this fund? How much you need to save or have in it? Yeah, that's a good question because I've read in journals and books anywhere from three months to six months. I've even heard as much as one year's worth of expenses, but it depends. Like what expenses? Let's start there. Is it everything you've spent? So let's say you spend six, say $7,000 a month in Toronto, everything, food, uh, mortgage, tuition, everything all in. Well, in that $7,000, there may actually be items that you don't have to spend on, you know, like going out for dinner, going out for a movie. Instead of going out for lunch, you could, for example, bring your lunch. So those are things that you have control over. So let's say you really have no control over about $5,000 worth of expenses. Mm -hmm. That so includes your mortgage, yeah, and yeah, car yeah. payments, Perfect. let's just say. Okay. Yeah. Those are your fixed expenses that I don't, you have to pay those or you will go bankrupt. Well, that's what I think you should have. You should have a factor of that. So is it three months? Well, three months, say our example is $5,000 a month of mandatory or fixed expenses. Then you need anywhere from about $15,000 in your emergency fund to maybe as much as 30000 if you go six months. So that's the amount. Now, how do you determine whether it's three or six? You know, let's face it, we're widows, widowed. And that means that our income depends solely on us. So that is a risk. If we don't have income, we could we don't have anyone to rely on. We don't have our husband or our wife or a partner. And therefore, we have a, we probably have a need to go a little higher than three months. Other things that you could look at to determine whether you need a higher or lower amount could be your job. Are you in commissions? Like, are you on a commission basis? And therefore, you probably need a little bit more uh, of your of a cushion or... Are you just starting a new job or have you been in the job for 10, 20 years and you feel fairly safe that it'll be there? Well, again, if you're in a new job, you're probably not going to have any severance. And if you do get a severance, if you, that is, if you got laid off, you probably will find that the severance will be very low. So look at your personal circumstances and see 
whether you should have a reserve closer to the three months or closer to the six months. I think just because we are widowed probably means that we should be a little higher than the mm, minimum. Closer to six months then. Maybe closer to six months, depending on your overall picture. And how do you save for this? I mean, six months multiplied by five, six by five, that's quite a bit of money. How does someone go about saving for it? Yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. So if we said you had to save 15000 or 30000 how do you build that? I think the best way to build it is to open up a separate bank account or an investment account. And it has to be completely separate from where you do the rest of your uh, banking. So if you did all your banking on one savings account and one checking account, open up another one, completely different. And then I would suggest you invest or you save monthly. Like for example, if you could save $20 a week, well, $20 a week would give you $1,040 after the one-year period. I know it's not a huge amount of money, but it's it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Everything did, helps. Yeah. If you did $50 a month, sorry, $50 a week, it would up, add up to about $2,600 a year. Now, I bet you I could help you get that without any trouble. Here's your challenge. Okay. Some people say, I have no room to save for an emergency fund. I did too. I'll give you two actual ways to do this. Number one, I give you a challenge. Go through your bank account and cancel at least one subscription, whether it's to Apple Music or Spotify or maybe to to the Globe and Mail or anything. I I challenge you to look through your subscriptions and cancel one. I bet you could save about $25 a month there. Next time you go to the grocery store, I challenge you not to buy one item. I'm not asking you not to buy meat that you need, but one thing that was less of a need, more of a want, don't buy it. So I bet you you could save 10 to $20 by not buying that one thing in your grocery list that you really, really, really don't need. Mm-hmm. Now, we can go more sure. into more specifics. Even like Starbucks less often. <laughs> yeah, Starbucks. Bring your coffee from home. Buy a coffee machine. Anyhow, I think you could save 20 to $50 without going through all the closets and uh, sofas looking for quarters and, and dollars. I think it's possible to do that. Mm-hmm. I I did that. I'm not going to say it took me a year to save. It might have been a little more. I can't remember now. But we actually had two separate accounts, one for an emergency fund and then one for travel. Both we didn't touch at all until we needed them. We actually needed a new roof at one point. So we used the emergency funds for that. But then we put more in just to make up for it. So once you have the money, once you've managed to adjust your budget and save that. Is there anything else you can use towards towards the account? Are there any other types of, let's say, windfalls that you can use? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, we're into, when we're recording this, we're into July. So most Canadians have, will receive a refund, a tax refund, and they probably already received it. Well, tax refunds are, are ideal for rebuilding or building your emergency fund. And Paul, we should also indicate, or I should also indicate that if you do start 
an emergency fund, which where I'm personally strongly recommending that you consider that it has to be separate, as I mentioned, and look for an account that has no transaction fees, no penalties for early withdrawals, and guarantees the interest that you're going to earn. That's very important. A stock, if you're going to buy a stock for your emergency fund, I'm not a big fan of buying stocks for your emergency fund because stocks have the tendency in the short term to be volatile. And you never know when you need it, you need that money. So you can't really go into your emergency fund if your stock had declined. So I would recommend something that is on a, is guaranteed. But we always have sums of money like bonuses. I get usually I get money gifts. Not a lot, but my parents or my friend usually my parents will give me a gift in, Were you in the saying form of your money. Friends? No, no, I don't have any I friends. want friends like you have. No, they don't give me money. No, unfortunately, it's just my mom and dad. Okay. <laughs> but you know, another approach, and I don't mean to be mean or stern about this, but increase your income. How do we do that? Start a side hustle. I'll give you a great example of this. I have a client. He works for a nonprofit during the day, and he is fully bilingual. So he's as good in French as he is in English. Guess what he did? He started an online French-speaking tutorial service. I need his name. Do you? I'm, I can give it yes, to you after. <laughs> I need to improve my French. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do it for you. Okay. It's all from the comfort of his home. He can determine how many hours of teaching French he wants to do each and every day or every weekend, depending on how much he needs. Hmm. And it's surprising how many people need French lessons in Ontario, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, it can be, it doesn't even have to be in Ontario online. It could be anywhere in Canada. Sure. There are so many jobs that you can do online now. That right. Makes total sense. Yeah. Now, do you play the piano? I'm not good at it. Basics. Oh. I okay. have a piano, but yeah, no. you have a huge piano. I do. Um, and I would go. love could... to be able to play piano, but I don't. Oh, uh, okay. I was thinking if you were good at it, you could, you could use that as a side hustle. Teach people how to play the piano. There we go. I wish. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Now, where are we here? What else did I want to ask you? Sorry, I lost my train of thought there thinking of the French lessons. That is very, very interesting to me. The other question I had for you is, do you, do you still contribute to the emergency fund if you have credit card debt or some high interest rate debt? Yeah, that's a really good question. How, what do you do with any savings that you have, do you allocate it to paying off debt, especially things like credit card debt, or do you allocate it to your emergency fund? I think the answer to that is is really not general. It's it's based on you. If you have very, very high credit card debt and you just can't get under it, uh, and you can't pay it off, then I really don't think you should be building your emergency fund until you pay off your credit card debt. And the reason I say that is because credit card debts can be, they can be killers. Uh, I think they're in the 20% range. Yeah, over 20%, today. yeah. Yeah. So if you have a mortgage, then I would, I would say don't pay down your mortgage until you've built an emergency fund. But anything that is very, very expensive, lines of credits, well, sometimes people will take out a line of credit on their home, and that generally is at a lower rate 
than an unsecured loan. So look at your, your loans and anything you've borrowed. If you've got very high interest costs, then you may have to postpone the emergency pool building until you can pay, pay that, that down. debt first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Makes but total assess sense. it case by case. I don't think I can give a general answer to that. Okay. Now, speaking of assessing, once when Dave passed away, we did have an emergency fund in place. But at that point, I reassessed it because I thought maybe since it was just the three of us, myself and my girls, I didn't need as much in that fund. But when I did my accounts, I realized I actually still, I mean, maybe minus 20%, but I still needed the same amount or close to the same amount in the emergency fund. So I kept it at that. Would you recommend reassessing what the amount you have in your fund when there are life changes like uh, the death of your spouse or maybe having a child or something like that? Yeah, or an increase in property taxes, mm -hmm. an increase in power costs, uh, increase in food, All of everything above, that we've right? gone through in the last year and a half. Yeah. I think like any investment, your financial plan needs to be reevaluated. I'm not implying that you reevaluate it every month, but you need to look at it every now and then, maybe once a year and readjust. So if you've just become a widow or a widower, yeah, I think you should reevaluate it right then and there. Do you go lower? I would say that you probably don't go lower because now you only have one income instead of two and possibly zero instead of one. So definitely review it and make the necessary changes, whether you should go up or you should go down or keep it where it is. But as a widow and a widower, I would be inclined not to reduce it. Hmm, keep it at what it is. You never it, know. It, you never know or higher because of the fact that you're now on one income. On one income and things are so much more expensive, right? Uh, With inflation, today, everything's much more. Yeah. Even repairs on a home or whatever yeah. the case is. And everything is going up and you know, inflation, although down a little bit from where we were a year ago, we're not down to one or 2% as we did for, you know, prior to 2020. Okay. Thank you so much, Richard. Now, as usual with my shows, I like to talk about one item that we've discussed during the podcast that really rings true with me or something I've learned and ask you as well. Would you like to go ahead or shall I? No, oh, I love when you go first. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in terms of emergency funds, I can't under underestimate the importance of the emergency fund for me. Now, it was started quite early in our marriage. And I think that it was very important to Dave in particular because he had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is a form of cancer, when he was quite young. So it was so important to him that we have that six-month buffer should maybe he be diagnosed again and would need to be not working for a short period. Whatever the case was, it was really important to him. And it saved me. When he did pass away, I used that to live on for myself and for my girls until I had the money that came in through his insurance. Or, if, of course, if I didn't have the insurance until I was ready to go back to work in that case. So for me, I know it's a hard thing. I know maybe even now with the economy, it's the thought of putting even $20 away a month or a week, whatever the case is, may seem like a lot, but it can really, really help you in the long run. So that's my thought. And yeah. yourself? 
it, in my experience and as a financial advisor, I think I can remember five families that have used an emergency fund the way we've talked about it today. And I know it's very hard to find the money to do so. It takes a lot of time to build it up. But Murphy's Law states that emergencies will happen and they usually happen when you least expect them and can afford them. It's just the way it is. So you could go through a whole month or two or a year without any emergencies. And then all of a sudden you can have two or three of them back to back. So they happen when you least expect them. Now, I I recommend that you start a emergency fund. And once you've built one up, what does it provide you as a widow or a widower? I think it provides you with financial control. If you know you have a reasonable reserve and there is an emergency, well, you have peace of mind. And that's what we want. We want some peace of mind. We know we're going through a very difficult time in our lives. We've lost our partner. We've lost our spouse. The last thing we need is an emergency repair that we can't really afford and therefore we'd have to go into debt. So I think it's important to have one because it provides financial control and peace of mind. So I, I recommend that we all try to have one. Well, I'm in full agreement. Thank you again, Richard, for your expertise. You're welcome. And until next time, bye-bye. Hey, listeners, for more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.